How y'all doing this morning? <laughs> it is so good to have you in church this morning. Uh, for those of you who did not know, uh, for the last week I had been in Columbus, Ohio at our general council for the Assemblies of God. And what that is is the same way that we have an annual business meeting here at the church, the District of New Jersey also has an annual business meeting. It's called District Council. And every two years, we get the opportunity as a fellowship to gather as many pastors as possible, as well as young people for their National Fine Arts Convention. And when I tell you 12,000 young people all in one stadium, giving their gifts and their talents to God and raising their hands in worship, be rest assured that there is a generation, there is a remnant still pursuing God and the power of the Holy Spirit amongst the next generation. It was wonderful to catch up with old friends, and even I had the opportunity to watch one of my previous Sunday school kids. I had not seen her since she was 10 years old. She was 18 now, and I was watching her fine arts performance and giving me joy to see that God still had a hand on her life. That God gives us people in seasons. To give you an update of what's been happening as well since I've been away, at our special business meeting, we had the election of two brand new board members, Brother Eric Ballister. <laughs> and he doesn't want to say anything, but Brother Thaddeus is in the back as well. We also had the opportunity to celebrate the legacy left here by Brother Charles and Brother Adamola, who have been serving successfully and faithfully in Bethel for the last number of years. I thank you, I appreciate you, and I am so excited about what God is going to do with the vision of the church going forward. Amen? We also have a building update because we've still been busy with our building project. And if you guys have not noticed, if you look outside on the Delavan side, you can see the brand new beautiful windows that were donated to the church. We had 46 windows installed over the last two weeks. They did a phenomenal job. It's like a fresh coat of paint. But not only that, downstairs in our basement, uh, we actually have progress. So Brother Angel came in about a month ago, and he tore down one wall specifically. Some of you guys know it as the old children's ministry Sunday school room. Well, this week while I was away, this past Friday, him and Nick Ayala with another crew knocked down the following center room, and our fellowship hall is going to be completely open and ready to be filled. I can't wait until we can be able to put flooring in there and painting in there. It's going to look so good. It's also very echoey, so I've worshipped already inside the room. It's just, hallelujah. <laughs> and the last thing that I want to show you guys is, uh, if we do have it, of our kitchen. So Nick Ayala has been working tirelessly on making sure that our kitchen is done and our floor has been completely epoxied and put in with slip grip. And we are ready for the appliances to come and hopefully our kitchen to be done within the month. So we are excited because we're not only getting things done and getting results, but God is on the move, not just inside the building, but also outside the building. As we had five young people and one additional person be baptized last week during our extended time of praise and worship. So to give you some of our upcoming schedule, I know that we're taking a break 
But September 10th, write this in your calendars, out, uh, after service, we are going to be having Back to Church Sunday with a potluck. I know that Labor Day is usually the last uh, weekend that people go off and do their big vacations for the summer. So we want to celebrate with everybody back in the building and fully populated with a church potluck. And also as well, we want our young people to be here as much as possible because we want to lay hands on them for the upcoming school semester. As they can be trained and be brought up in the church, they also are a light to their local community. But we know in the same way that our young people face adversity and challenges and temptations. So we want to lay our hands on them and let them go in the anointing of God and in the Holy Spirit. The last thing that I want to mention before we get into our word is we are going to have what's called spiritual emphasis services. September 17th, 19th and the 20th. Those dates are wrong, but it's okay. You can blame the pastor because he changed the dates. <laughs> So we, uh, this is what you guys would normally know as revival services. But not only are we going to be having an evangelist and a guest speaker come in here so that we can be more in tune with what God is doing in the spiritual realm, the whole point of spiritual emphasis is not for us to feel good about being in the building in the presence of God. The whole point of spiritual emphasis is inviting those who have no biblical worldview or those who are far away from God and need to reconnect with him. That is what these revival meetings used to be in the past. So as you are planning and as you're going through your calendar, also take that boldness and invite as many people as possible. We are going to be having prayer cards. We're going to be having invitation cards that we're going to be giving you guys in the next couple of weeks. Invite the lost into this building. Invite them to have the opportunity to have an encounter with their Lord and Savior. So that as Richard said in his vision, we can fill this room and be a light to Newark and all of Essex County. If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn with me to the book of Mark. We are going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 12. If you haven't received a physical outline and would like one, you can just raise your hand and a volunteer will be able to help. But just make sure that you keep that up until a volunteer can be able to see you. If you prefer a digital outline, you can search Bethel Assembly of God on the YouVersion Bible app. For all of our millennials and Gen Zs who like to be on their phone. But only on the Bible app. Okay? Don't be going through TikTok. <laughs> We're going to be continuing in our series, Step Out. In the book of Mark. And this morning we're going to be talking about Jesus and the paralyzed man. But I have a little story to be able to set you guys up. I know that you're turning into your Bibles. So we'll do that right now. The story is told about a barber who had been gloriously saved in an old-time revival meeting. The next morning at work, he wanted to share his new faith and witness to the lost, but he really didn't know how. So a customer came in at 9 a.m., and the barber began to get his blade ready because he had requested a shave. So the guy sat down in the chair. The barber pumped it up. He put a hot towel on his face, and he's trying to find the right words to say to give the gospel to this man. 
as the shave is getting ready to start and cream is already on the face of the customer, the barber takes the razor to the person's neck and says the first thing that comes out of his mind, are you ready to meet Jesus? Obviously, the barber had the best intentions, but probably not the best timing. <laughs> but he tried to do his part in giving the customer the gospel. And often we forget our part in the salvation process. Yes, we know that Jesus is the only one who saves people. But how are those people ever going to be able to meet Jesus if there is no one to introduce him to him? Today we're going to be going into a story where a group of friends help another meet Jesus. We have so many verses that we're going to be doing, 12 verses this morning, that we're not going to read it in the beginning. Fran, I'm going to switch some things up. We're going to go to our big idea, and that is our faith can help save others. Our faith can help save others. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer? Father God, in the name of Jesus, I come before you, and I thank you for everything that you have done in this church. I thank you for the amazing things that you did in worship. I thank you for the vision from the Holy Spirit that came out of the missionary's mouth. But God, as we continue in your word, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and more importantly, hands and feet to respond to your message. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. We've been in the book of Mark for the past couple weeks with the exception of our all praise and worship service. And we talked about, at first, that we must preach the good news of Jesus and how Jesus should be the center of when we're talking about the gospel message. Then we talked about when starting your faith journey to take the natural steps that Jesus did with baptism, understanding temptation, but then being a light to the community and going out with authority. Then speaking of authority, we talked about how our actions in presenting the gospel message should produce results with authority. And how we talked about the first exorcism that is recorded in the gospel of Mark. So we've skipped a few things in verses 29 to 45 to get where we're at here. So I'm going to fill you in on the details. During that time, Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's also uh, driven out more unclean spirits, and he has healed a man with leprosy. So Jesus has been healing, has been teaching, and has been preaching the good news, and a demonstration of the Holy Spirit has always followed him. And the Bible tells us in the last verse in Mark 1.45, the second half of that verse, that as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stay outside in lonely places. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. The crowd had heard and saw everything that Jesus was doing, and the fruit of it was undeniable. And all of that prepares us for our passage this morning, Mark 2, 1 through 12. So let's set the scene, shall we? Jesus has returned to Capernaum. Where's our map? Where's our map? Did I? Yeah, we got the map back. So Jesus has returned to Capernaum. In Mark 2, 1, it says a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, 
you, you, uh, you guys might be thinking with me like, oh, he's back in his hometown or his base of operations. But some scholars would argue that this was actually the house that Jesus stayed in. This was his actual home. And, you know, people use that verse, the son of man has no place to rest his head. What they were talking about was that he was always busy. He was always being asked to do something new. But Jesus had a place that he stayed. And this was most likely that place in Capernaum. And the Bible talks about that there was no room, that the good message of Jesus had spread like wildfire. And remember what I said a few weeks ago, Bochinche travels fast, whether good or bad. And in Mark 2, 2, it said they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. A standard Jewish first floor house or one floor house had a maximum capacity of about 50 people. So you're thinking about 75, maybe to 100 people are in and outside the home, standing room only, watching Jesus teach and preach. I'm telling you guys this for two specific reasons. One, remember, when Jesus teaches and he preaches, he's also going to move in the spirit. Okay? And I'm also setting you guys the scene and the perspective that these five men that interact with him afterwards had to see as well. Remember, they're coming from the back of the crowd and they're seeing everything in front of them. So there is intent behind their actions. So, our faith can help save others. That's what we're talking about this morning. And the first thing that I see is the courage of faith. These four gentlemen or these four guys display courage in bringing their friend to Jesus. Mark 2, starting in verse 3, says this. It says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him or to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. We think about courageous situations, you and I. And the first thing that probably comes to mind is like a fireman going into a burning building to save someone. Or a soldier sacrificing themselves in the line of duty. These are the first things that come to our mind when we think of courage and being courageous. So, how is what these men do, or what they're doing, show the courage of faith? Well, the first thing that I see is persistence. These men saw the size of the crowd in front of them. The inability to get the paralyzed man to Jesus, yet they did not waver in their assignment. I see boldness. They had made an opening through the roof. Now, Jesus could have stopped them right then and there, like, how the heck are you coming in my house? Why are you trying to... Listen, I don't know about you, but if all of a sudden we were having a Bible study and I heard a sawzall coming through the roof of the parsonage, I'd get a little worried and upset and I know the board would also get upset all of a sudden, somebody cutting holes in the house. But Jesus didn't end up angry or frustrated. And it took guts for these men to think if they could just get the man to Jesus. 
something would happen. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 5 tells us, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith did he see? Their faith. Not the faith of the man that's on the mat. He saw the faith of the friends and their persistence in bringing their fellow brother to Jesus. But I don't think that that was the healing that they were looking for. I think they were thinking about something else. But the forgiveness of sin is what the man needed most. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I don't think that that sequence is unintentional. I think that God could be able to heal our land, but if there's no forgiveness of sin or no wholeness, no connection to God, we'd say that's a nice magic trick. The forgiveness of sin is God's main objective, the restoration of his human partners communicating and having a relationship with God has always been his number one priority. There are some people who might never receive healing this side of eternity, but they might have salvation in Jesus. So the healing that is coming for them in heaven is going to be far more complete and so much better than anything that they will see in this world. Amen? Seeing the courage of this man reminds me of another story in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 15, we see the story of the Canaanite woman and how Jesus was talking to her and communicating to her. And she was praying and begging that her daughter be healed and delivered. But Jesus pushed her to the side. And some people get conflicted with this story because Jesus, as his priority, especially in the beginning of his ministry, was to reteach the people of Israel the things of God to break away all the excess stuff that they had accumulated. So a lot of people think that Jesus was being rude, like, get away. But people don't understand that that was a test for the followers that are, were around Jesus and for the woman herself. And the woman kept persisting and persisting and persisting. She showed the courage of faith. And what does Jesus say to the woman? He says in verse 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And the daughter was healed at that moment. This story, like our passage, displays the courage of faith to stand while adversity is hitting you from every side, even if that adversity is a test from God. Now, we talked about courageous situations. We talked about the firefighter and we talked about the soldier. I don't think that there's any more of a courageous situation than a teenage boy asking a girl out to the homecoming dance. That's, let me tell you, that takes courage. That's like cowardly lion and the Wizard of Oz courage. <laughs> and the guy comes up and he has his flowers in his hand or his flower in his hand. He goes and he tries to find the right words to say. And you know this, you see this in the movies all the time where he's like, oh, hey, how's, how's it? No, that's not how that works. <laughs> hey, how's it, how's it, how's it doing? No, that's not how that works. But sometimes 
What happens is that the fear of rejection will go off in the young man's head and he'll move away from even trying. He'll move away because of the fear or anticipation that something or someone might say no. But think of if those four men saw the crowd and the obstacles in front of them and said, you want to know what? We can just try tomorrow, and tomorrow never came for the paralyzed man. Praise be to God that these men showed the courage of faith. So church, it is time that we show that same courage despite adversity. You got someone who is not open to the gospel? That's okay. How about showing them the love of God and just starting a friendship and a relationship with them? Maybe that becomes the door. Maybe that relationship becomes the door or the window that Jesus can be able to get through. Despite inopportune times, we must show courage. You think, Lord, it, it might not be the right time or, you know, I don't know, have the right words to say. If he tells you to do it, it's the right time. It might be the only time that that person ever gets to hear the name of Jesus. And despite rejection, but God, what if they say no? 1 Corinthians 9.22 tells you this. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might say some. Listen, some people will say no. The gospel already tells us that, that some people will objectively say no. Our part is just to tell them about Jesus so that we can save as many people as possible. And it's going to take a little courage of faith. So not only do we see the courage of faith in this situation with these four gentlemen, but we see the confrontation with doubt. We transition from courageousness and boldness to a confrontation. Mark 2, starting in verse 5, the Bible says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now in our eyes, we've seen it because we've had services like this. Jesus has done an amazing thing. He has forgiven this man of his sins. From our perspective, everybody in that house needs to have a Holy Ghost party. We need to put the music back on and we need to step in the right direction, don't we? That's what we would get excited for. There is someone who has been made clean of their sin by the master of heaven and earth. Isn't that supposed to be great? Yet with every miracle comes skepticism. Those who say, well, why didn't Jesus just do both at the same time? Or why did Jesus not just tell the crowd to move so that the person had the available room to come and allow the miracle to happen? It is no different in this situation and passage as the confrontation is with the teachers of the law. 
And some of you might think, well, Pastor Thomas, the teachers weren't the one who started the confrontation. It was Jesus. I would ask you to reread this passage again. Verse 6 tells us that they were thinking to themselves. In fact, in Matthew's account of this story, it says that they said to themselves, implying that they were mumbling or grumbling or whispering to each other. But we'll stay in Mark because he's trying to uh, show a specific thing that Jesus is doing in the Spirit. Now listen, there will always be questions and I understand that when the supernatural happens, we always want to make sure that it is God and not us. We want to make sure that when we lay hands on people and they're getting a touch, it's from Jesus and not from the pushing down of somebody's hand. Some, some people said amen. Some people said, oh, my. <laughs> so remember, Jesus is talking about this confrontation but they started it because of the bochinche that was happening, because of the bad news that they were trying to stir up. Yet all those teachers knew that healing came from God. And last time I checked, this wasn't Jesus' last rodeo. A couple of minutes ago when we talked about the background to this information, we talked about all the good miracles that Jesus had been doing, the healing and the driving out of demons. Everything in that way was associated with God and God alone. And Jesus now, when he hears the thoughts or when he understands the conversation, he is displaying the gift of discernment through the Holy Spirit. We, we see this later explained by Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 12. But in summation, Jesus is getting knowledge through the Holy Spirit and confronting it out loud to break any foothold these people wanted to stand on. And why does he confront this out loud? Because if not, all of a sudden, the rest of the crowd might get on to the teachers of the law's agenda. And he says, which is easier, the healing of a body or the healing of a soul? I would say that both of these are difficult. But Jesus has already shown that he could physically heal the people. So there's evidence of that. So for the crowd, with Jesus saying that he is forgiving the man's sin, where is the evidence and where is the sign? And this is a condition that has happened not only with Israel, but the human condition in general. We see this later on with the, uh, with the disciple Thomas. Dang it, why did I have to have the same name? <laughs> where he doubts in the situation. But it's nothing new this side of eternity, that there are people that have skepticism and doubt. In fact, in Exodus 32.9, this is what God says about the people of Israel. He says, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. God has known from the beginning that his partnership with Israel, that he knows that they love him, and that they know him, but not enough to submit to him. And later, Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he confronts the Pharisees in an indicting chapter called the seven woes. I'll give you one of them. Matthew 23, starting in verse 27, says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as righteous, but on the inside, 
you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus had to confront the teachers or their logic would spread as fast as the good news that Jesus was preaching. We see this later on in the book of 1 Corinthians when he says, bad company corrupts good character. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together expresses this. He says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sins. But nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Confrontation is necessary so that unity can be able to happen within the body of God. Things only get better when you get them out in the open. It is only then that the Holy Spirit can have his way in reconciliation, healing, and unity will come. It's only when we confront the doubts among us that unity could happen. Now, to give you some clarity, I know that I can't answer every question on a Sunday about a subject. But God can. Through his word, through prayer, and text me. You guys all have my number. And if you don't have my number, please let me know. I will give it to you. I have no problem answering your questions. If you've ever come out on a Wednesday night Bible study, Sister Olafunke can tell you, when she asks questions, I get excited. <laughs> I love answering questions about Scripture and figuring out how it works better for us to be unified in learning God's Word together. Amen? But remember, confrontation only needs to happen because sometimes we act more like the teachers of the law I'm going, to, I'm going to pause for a minute. I know that I'm going to get in. Confrontation needs to happen because sometimes we are more like the teachers in the law than the followers of Jesus. We know so much about God's word and Christian practices and our convictions and our preferences that we have forgotten how to sit at the master's feet. We love the law of the Lord but we have forgotten and neglected the Lord who wrote the law. Shame be upon us when we are obedient enough to the rules, but we cast our brothers aside because of a lack of love. May these confrontations also happen in love for the building up of one another and the church. So, I know that we talked about a few things this morning, but remember, this story is all about how our faith can help save others. And we talked about the courage of faith and the confrontation with doubt. But the last thing is the most important, and that is the confirmation of faith. When we have faith, God and Jesus confirms it. And this passage is no different. Mark 2, 9, it says, Which is easier to say to this man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up 
took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Here is the peak of our passage, the climax of our passage, folks. Jesus is going to do another mighty work, and it takes care of both of our last points. First, he deals with confrontation. The teachers had a problem with Jesus cleansing sin, something that was only associated with God and sacrifice. But they had no problem with him healing, another thing that was only associated with God above. And here is where Jesus gives an answer to their skepticism. In his rebuttal, he calls himself the Son of Man. It is the name that Mark uses often to describe how Jesus reveals himself to people. This is a name used to describe many people, like Ezekiel the prophet, but also the Holy One that is in the vision of Daniel that you and I spoke about two weeks ago. And Jesus does this miracle. He does this confirmation, not with an extended time of prayer, because he had connected with God on a daily basis. He was always one with the Father, and when he had to retreat, he did so. If you read in Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus, at an early time, would go off, away from everyone, to go and pray. So he was consistently connected with God. And he didn't have to do it after two hours of extended worship. Hello. He does it with a simple declarative statement. Jamie, would you come? Verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, immediately, the miracle takes place in front of all of them. And the miracle confirms the courage of the man's friends had been correct. If they could get him to Jesus, his body would be made whole. Now the room knows and this man knows that he is not just whole in body, but he is whole in spirit. Made whole by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it says that the crowd praised God. Two weeks ago when we talked about the first exorcism, they just marveled. They went ooh and they went ah. But they finally are getting on board. They're getting closer to an active relationship with their heavenly father. It's probably similar to what it says in Psalm 92 verses 4 and 5. It says this, For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I will sing for joy at the work of your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. What was missing in the exorcism of the impure spirit is now here. The people are lifting up their hands and their heads to give God glory. And that is what discipleship is all about, right? It's all about not knowing in the beginning what you need to get close to Jesus. But as you sit at the master's feet and as overseer's feet and at leadership's feet, that you'll get closer to him that you'll lift your head up instead of being downcast. Remember 
that in the middle of doubts and in stepping out in faith, God will show up on time with confirmation. It will never be too early. It will never be too late. God is always on time. There might be some of you here this morning that are like that paralyzed man. You're on your mat and you're broken. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Let's make this time an opportunity for you to come through the roof. I'm going to say it again. Let's take this time for you to come through the roof and show that courage and say, Jesus, I need an encounter with the master. I need you to make me whole physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because only you can do it. Why don't you stand with me, church?